This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, take a walk with me. We're a place where entertainment is king and knowledge rules the airwaves. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the broadcast that's right on target. We call it Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verbalin, and the man who always hits the bullseye, the star of our show, Jeffrey Mark. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would see how wonderful my co-stars on this show are. Ray just flexed his bicep for me. I'll be smiling for two weeks. Welcome to this installment. And this time we're going to be talking about a group of people I'll bet you've never really heard about before, but goodness gracious, if you've got any taste at all, boy, will you know who these people are? So we're going to spend a nice hour talking about my friends at Yarmy's Army. Yarmy's Army? Jeffrey Mark, what's that? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Yarmy's Army is named after a stand-up comedian named Dick Yarmy. What? What's that? You don't know who Dick Yarmy was? Well, I'll bet you know who his brother was, Don Adams of Get Smart fame. Dick Yarmy, Yarmy was their real family last name, was also a stand-up comedian, not as famous as his brother, but for whatever reasons, much more beloved by people in the business. In the 90s, Dick got cancer. And his buddies, to keep his good feelings afloat while he was doing the good fight, took him out to lunch once a week. They gave Dick weeks to live. Dick lived for over a year. And he said it was those wonderful lunches, the fraternity and camaraderie and laughter that he had to look forward to every week that kept him alive. At Dick's funeral, Chuck McCann and Howard Storm and a few other people said, you know what, we need to keep this going. And they started Yarmy's Army, a group of stand-up comedians, comedy writers, comedy directors, musicians who did comedy, who would meet tell funny stories, have Jewish delicatessen for dinner, and every once in a while put on live shows in his name, raising money to help people in show business who'd had nice careers but had fallen on hard times. And I joined this group in the late 1990s, so we're going to talk about why and how I joined, what we did, and if all I did was just take you around mentally, if I can grab you by the hand and go through the time warp, and just have you sit next to me and just tell you who was there, you're going to have a good time. So before I go into any of that, 
Ray Carr always has good questions to ask. So Ray, what's on your mind about me and Yarmy's army? Well, that's um, something that's been pondering. I've been pondering this all afternoon, getting ready for this moment. But it was at Jerry's Deli in Westwood, which is a suburb or an area of Los Angeles. Um, what kind of things would happen on a typical Yarmy's army, you know, get together? Like maybe explain to our audience what that kind of felt like and what things went on there. Sure, sure. Uh, Yarmy's army has met at various places through the years. The longest lived one, the one I think people remember the most, is the one you just mentioned. Jerry's Deli is a series of delis, or was a series of Jewish delicatessens in the greater Los Angeles area. I believe they're all gone now. Uh, this one in Westwood, Westwood is in the western part of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It is an area close to UCLA and uh, to a lot of movie theaters where they have movie premieres. So it was associated with show business. This particular Jerry's Deli upstairs had a private room. So we were able to meet with nobody bothering us, nobody overhearing us. The language could fly furiously. We wouldn't be embarrassing anybody. And they, they, they put us in a great big rectangle, meaning tables put together in a large rectangle, everyone sitting on the outside, nobody sitting on the inside. So everybody was facing everybody else. So people could hear each other and tell stories. You'd get there, you'd hang out, you'd order a drink if you drank. Uh, we'd finally sit down, waiters would come and take our orders, and then the meeting would come to order. We would uh, lift a glass of whatever in honor of Dick, Tom Poston's wife, Kay, who had recently passed away, and any of our other friends who had either been a part of the group or part of comedy who had recently left us. We would discuss who among our comedy friends might be in trouble, might need a dollar, might need a ride, might need a doctor. And then hell broke loose. And all of these large, egoed, uber-talented comedy people began jockeying for position to tell funny stories. And heaven forfend, someone mentioned a nightclub, a booking agent, a manager, there was a fight over who knew him better and who worked with him more. And if someone told a joke, I told that joke first in 1958. It was a lot of fun, filthy dirty, which is why it was a boys club only, except for uh, Phyllis Diller and Suzanne Plachette were allowed to come anytime they wanted. Other than that, it was a men's only club, probably politically incorrect, but that's how it started. Not because they didn't like women. They like women fine, but they were of an age that they felt they could not curse in front of women. They were brought up to be gentlemen and they didn't want to not be able to curse. So that was why that rule was in place. So that was generally what happened. Uh, if you were lucky enough to be there, you ate some fairly pedestrian Jewish deli. We didn't go there for the food. We went there for the camaraderie. And it was wonderful. I would go and I went for years and years and years. And I'd, I would drive home with my stomach hurting from laughing so much. It's, could it's you like, share with us something, maybe a story or two that would be something we could have our audience uh, 
enjoy or I know there's some you can't. I would have to spend quite a bit of time coming up with anything that I could repeat that uh, tender ears could possibly listen to. And we're talking about people you wouldn't imagine Don Knotts being able to do filthy comedy. <laughs> and it didn't take much. So I'm going to push the envelope here. I am not going to use a bad word but it's going to be obvious what I'm talking about. And uh, either you're going to hear this or we will say we have to cut that. So we'll see what happens here. But every once in a while, uh, Howard Storm and uh, one of the great, great, great comedy writers uh, of all time, Sam Denoff, who co-created That Girl, for instance, and wrote for the Dick Van Dyke Show. They were in charge of the group. And every once in a while, they get a gleam in their eye and they'd turn to Don and they'd say, and now we're going to introduce the very famous sexologist, Don Knotts. And we'd all applaud as if he was there as a speaker. And he would not get entirely out of his seat, but he would just crouch up, raise a finger in the air and said, I'm a big fan of a red bush. Now, let me tell you why. And just that sentence coming out of that face, no one could breathe for five minutes. When Don Knotts passed away, there was a memorial service for him at the Writers Guild Theater in Hollywood, in uh, Beverly Hills. And we sent this huge bouquet of flowers and the card said, from your fellow Red Bush lovers. It, it was just a thing. I mean, you, you wouldn't like, how many times could he do this and make you laugh? The answer is... Every single time he did it, we fell apart. So that's about the most gentle thing I can. Everything was filthy, 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 filthy comedy. Or it was reminiscences about a particular nightclub or connection to the underworld that won't be particularly funny or interesting because you don't know the players. But the humor was... A little insulting, very dirty. The non-humorous stuff could sometimes be very real and dramatic. People cried at these things sometimes. I'll share a cry with you because it's not dirty at all. Shelley Berman, the great Shelley Berman, was one of our regular people. First of all, for Jeffrey Mark, to show up and have this man kiss me on my cheek, pinch my cheek and say, hello, boy chick to me. Um, boy chick is Russian for like a, 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 an affectionate term for a younger male to whoever you are. And uh, Shelley was very religious, Jewish, spoke Yiddish fluently. And just to have myself be recognized by a giant like that. But we were talking one night about like, I think the question put out was, what do you regret in your career? What's, what's, what was a, a moment in your career like you wish that hadn't happened? And for Shelley, the big deal for him was that there was a television documentary done in the 1960s about comedy. He was one of the people featured. Shelley Berman, if you don't know who he is, just in case, Shelley was one of the new, I put that in quotation marks, comedians who came up in the very late 50s and early 1960s who weren't doing borscht belt humor. They were doing real humor, 
They were doing new humor. They were doing intellectual humor. And Shelley hit big, big doing comedy records and won uh, a Grammy Award for that. So all of a sudden, out of left field, here comes Shelley Berman. And he became an enormous star. He was a top name headliner in nightclubs. He was on the Judy Garland show. He was on the Ed Sullivan show. He was on every variety show there was. Well, they did this documentary. If you have to pick out like what's a detraction for someone, what, what's like, what can you say about somebody that wasn't wonderful? Shelley had a temper and the documentary caught Shelley acting out his temper and his bookings got canceled everywhere. And instead of being a huge star and an icon, he went to being a well-known working performer but his records stopped selling and it, it took him a long time to build his career back up again. And as Shelley is telling us this story, he started to cry. Well, you know, you're in a room with 30 men. There's no women there. There's no one to you know, give him a hug or a hold. All we can do is let him cry and tell him it's okay to cry that we understand. There were, there were, personal moments like that, that quite frankly, stick with me longer than any particular joke. Not that we didn't laugh constantly, but when the men chose to, to share from their hearts to only the only other people who would understand what they were talking about, other people who were peers, those are the moments that really stand out to me. You know, I was going to ask um, the, the people that you helped, how did you determine, you know, which people to help and which ones you kind of overlooked a little bit? If you're talking about the financial help from the money we raised from performing, we let it be known that we were there and let people come to us and say, hey, um, I got booked all summer to do, uh, I can be, I'm going to be headlining in clubs all over. My car broke. I can't afford to fix it until I work, but I can't work unless I fix my car. Then we would, all right, we'll pay to repair your car for you. Um, I'm living someplace I can no longer afford. My landlord doubled my rent, which used to happen a lot. Um, but I found a better apartment. I need money to help me move. And then I could be financially independent. We'd help that person. We couldn't buy houses for people. We couldn't, I mean, we, we, we weren't making hundreds of thousands of dollars. We couldn't finance someone's cancer research. We could do smaller things, car repairs, paying rent, buying some wardrobe to perform in, uh, paying for a musical arrangements to fix somebody's act. We could write material for people who needed the help, that sort of thing. The, but the other part of the question that you didn't really ask is there was more help than that. And the help came from me, if I can sound egotistical for a moment. Uh, I very soon after I joined the group, and I'll tell you the story of how I joined in a minute, became the guy I didn't run the group, but I kind of swept up afterwards. So every month, this is a once a month deal, I would call the entire membership. Hey, remember, you know, Tuesday night, 
was the second Tuesday of every month. Tuesday night, remember to go. Here's the address in case you've forgotten. Do you need a ride? Do you have food in the house? Do you need a doctor? Are you taking your medications? Not because everybody was poor, but because everyone was getting older. I was the youngest person there. When I first started going to Yarmie's Army, I was about 40. And I was a kid. There were people in their 80s already when I joined at 40 who had had wonderful careers but weren't working any longer or their wives had died and they no longer had somebody in the house taking care of them. They were too embarrassed to get a caregiver or they couldn't afford to get someone in the house. It wasn't that they didn't have money. They didn't have transportation or they were just embarrassed to ask. So I took all the embarrassment out of it. I let everybody know that I was asking these questions of everyone, the richest people there. I asked the same questions. Do you need help from me this month? And if it was more than I could handle, then I went to Howard Storm and I went to Sam Denoff. Hey, we need to put some money into this or or we need to get someone, like we need to hire someone or help hire someone. Uh, so, so more of my time was actually helping the members than the outside people. I can't, and I won't tell you who the outside people were. Some of them are still alive. I don't want to embarrass any of them, but there were people whose names, if, if you're a fan of baby boomer entertainment, if you were around, even as a small child in the fifties and sixties and seventies, you'll know all the names of the people we helped. And you'll know all the names of the people in the group who needed my help. Uh, Just know that it was given. It was given with love. It was an honor for me. This is hitting the mark. I'm the mark, Jeffrey Mark. And I'm here with my great friends, Ray Carr and Cindy Verbalin. 